had this, uh, I had a house, believe it or not. Um, in Texas, it was, it was really easy to buy a house, and so we bought a house. Grace and I, uh, soon after, we found out we were pregnant with Emery. So we, we bought this house, and it was, it was like this picture-perfect house because uh, it was really cheap, but, you know, it was a single story, uh, not, not very big. It was, it was wonderful. But I remember there was one thing about the house that I loved. I loved everything about the house, but I loved one thing. In our front yard, um, there was this great, big oak tree. And, and it, it, was, it was this... It was this tree that was so beautiful. It was, it was just ginormous. It was, it was just big and, and far-reaching, and so it created a lot of shade. And if you don't know this about Texas, Texas is really hot. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is wonderful. At least we can be shaded from the hot sun. And I remember when we bought the house, um, just looking at the tree, how, how, how big it was and how gorgeous it was with all its branches. And, and it, it was kind of unkempt because it wasn't like there was... Um, there was a lot of maintenance on the house. I mean, it was a really cheap house, so it wasn't like they took care of the tree very well. And so I remember uh, as I was trying to be a responsible homeowner, I would mow the lawn, and I would do all the yard work. I would look at this tree, and I would see just all these stray branches, all these stray things, uh, realizing that you probably do need to do some maintenance on it. So, um, you know, I, I did some research. I, every time, I, I, if you're a homeowner, I'm, I'm sure you know, now it's like we Google everything. I, I, even when it comes to stuff like that, I would Google it. Like, you know, what are the benefits of trimming a tree or like how to maintain a tree? And it, it explains to you. And I, I hope I'm not boring you. I know there's kids in here. But it was, it was fascinating to me because it would explain, you know, there's little saplings that grow on the ground and you need to cut those because you don't want um, the saplings to take, take away from the root system of the tree itself. You want the root system to be strong. Um, it explains that there's little, little branches on the side that you want to cut off because you want to uh, have the, the main line branches be strong so you have to start to prune it so I remember keep reading about this and so I called up a bunch of different uh, tree trimmers and then I found out how much it actually cost to cut to trim my tree I was like okay maybe I'll do it myself uh, but basically I, I even tried to figure out a plan to do it but it was impossible so we decided to invest the money and and get the tree trimmed and I remember the difference and I remember even Grace was kind of like why are you wasting so much money uh, getting our, our this, this our gorgeous tree trimmed like what's the point and then I remember we got the tree trim, and we saw it the next day. You know, we saw it, and we were just like, wow. It was beautiful. It was because all, the, all of the, the stuff that wasn't supposed to be there was trimmed off. It was all cut off, and it was, all, it was pruned in a, in a very nice and beautiful way. And I think it was, it was kind of that moment where I was like, I was looking at that tree, and I was like, that's beautiful. And I realized, like, dang, I'm an adult. Like, I'm a grown-up. Like, I'm, I'm looking at a tree and I'm like, man, I'm so happy I got this thing trimmed. I was like, man, I'm, I sound like my dad. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I was beginning to see the benefit of, of really tr like trimming it. And it was almost as if the tree was able to breathe. Because all the, all the little things, all the tiny little branches that weren't supposed to be there were all being cut off, were all being uh, trimmed away, and it was, all, it was all to a point where the tree could finally, the top layer, was able to get all, all the sunlight, and it wasn't being wasted on the, on the leaves below. Um, it, it, all the dead branches were, were cut off, and, and finally this tree just looked healthier. But you know what, in order to get it to look healthy, you know, a team of people had to come and, and trim away for a couple hours. Again, this tree was huge. And they, they trimmed for hours. They filled a dumpster full of all the branches. And, 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 and it just all of that old stuff had to be thrown away. But the tree was really healthy. And I don't know if you garden. I'm not much of a gardener. I, I, I kind of want to get into gardening um, because it's just such a therapeutic 
uh, thing, but um, if you know anything about gardening even, is that you do have to prune leaves. And I remember even as a child when someone explained to me that you have to prune a plant, I, I still don't really understand the whole process, so don't, don't think I'm an expert. But even when I was a kid, uh, they would say you have to prune some leaves so that the fruit will taste better. And I was, I was really confused. But again, it's the same idea. You have to cut off some leaves so that the fruit will become more, more rich in nutrients because you don't want those nutrients wasted on things that it's not supposed to to go to. So it's a lot about cutting and it's about snipping, about making sure that things go where they're supposed to go. So today's message is, is one, and I'm realizing as I go through the Gospel of John that I have to work out a lot of stuff even in my own life. I have to reread the Bible with a new, new, fresh set of eyes because I've read. The same passages over and over and over again. And I'm asking God to reveal them, to show them to me. Not in the way that I want to see them, but the way that he wants to see. He wants them to be seen. That it's not about me reading the Bible and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to get out of it and this is how I want it. But really, I want the Bible to read me. And I know that sounds weird, but I want the Bible to be like that set of shears cutting away all the things that aren't supposed to be there so that I can be healthy. But let me tell you, when you let the Bible start cutting away the branches in your life that aren't supposed to be there, it's uncomfortable, it's painful, it doesn't feel good when someone's pruning you. But I would hope and pray that the Word of God would be pruning to you. Today we're going to read from the Gospel of John in chapter 15, starting from verse 1. And again, kind of going with this agricultural imagery, Jesus begins in verse 1 saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's stop there. I've heard this so many times, and it scared me so many times. Because this is the words of Jesus. This is Jesus talking. And I remember being in youth group. I remember being even a child and, and people telling me, Jesus is the true vine, and unless you are attached to Jesus, you're going to be thrown on the side and thrown into hell. And that's kind of what it says. That's, that is what it says. And, and it gets a little even, even scarier in, in terms of a little more uncomfortable because it says, if you don't produce fruits... If you don't produce fruit, God just chops you off. God just chops it off because what's the use of a branch that does not produce fruit? Any good vine dresser, any good gardener would look at a dead 
branch or a branch that does not produce any fruit and say, well, this needs to be pruned and cut off. So I remember growing up, again, reading the gospel over and over again because I would, you know, I, I love the gospel of John even as a kid. Reading this would always kind of scare me because it's like, God, so you're saying if I don't produce fruit, you're going to cut me off. And you know what? <laughs> the answer is yes. And I think for a lot of us, that scares us. Okay, so now Christianity, it's all about producing fruit. It's all about doing good things and doing things because I have to produce fruit. If I don't produce fruit, then God's going to cut me off. And, and, and here's, here's where I need to get something very clear. Is Jesus is going to very soon, right after this, in the context of him saying this, he's going to explain what the fruit is. And so I want to tell you, you are demanded to produce fruit. It is a requirement if you want to call yourself a believer, a Christian. A lot of times we don't talk about this. Because I, 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 I want to say, I, I do say, and I, I do preach that it's all about grace. It's all, it's all about what he has done for us. And there is no requirements for what you need to do except one. There's one requirement. There's one requirement. Like I say every single week, there's no requirements. There's no requirement to be a Christian except for one thing. Except for one thing. So let's continue in the book of John. Verse 9, chapter 15. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandments, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love no one has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruits and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The command is to love one another. The command is... That you would love God and love each other. And, and I sound like a broken record, but this is all that we are required to do. If you love God and love others, you've fulfilled all the commandments. And Jesus has gone on to preach this over and over again. The commandments were put into place so that we would begin to love each other better. Even if you look at the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are commonly thrown in the face of Christians, saying, that, see, you're all about rules and regulations. The command Commandments can all be boiled down into a way in order to love God and to love each other. So even if you look at the, the most obvious ones, like you shall not murder, it's very hard to love someone while you're killing them. 
I mean, again, it, it, it's, it's kind of a common understanding that it's not possible to love someone if you are taking away their life. And so the commandment, you shall not murder, makes sense when you understand that the reason is, is not so that you wouldn't kill someone. The reason is that you would love someone. You would love them instead. The Ten Commandments are all a lot of these, these prohibitions. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not. And, and I don't think that that's bad. I, I think it's, many times it's good that we have structure and understanding what we shouldn't be doing. You shall not covet. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't look at someone's house and be like, oh, I want that house more than anything. Like We, we, we need these pro, prohibitions so that we know our boundaries, but we need to understand that prohibitions in many ways is not a way that you can center your life. You can't really center your life on things that you shouldn't be doing. Like, if, if, if I told you, if I told you that life is all about negation, about, about, about making sure that you stop yourself from doing things, you're going to have a very miserable life. Because anytime you want to do something, you're going to think, well, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not allowed to do this. You know, I shouldn't be doing this. Jesus comes into the picture and he reinterprets commandments as they're supposed to be interpreted. And he explains that it's not a prohibition, but really the only commandment is to love God and to love others. And this love, this love is a fruit. This love that Jesus is commanding for us to have is something that is developed in our lives and it's grown and it's nurtured and God wants us to grow and to nurture the love that he has in our lives. He wants us to be a branch creating this fruits of love. This, I don't even know what love would look like if it was a fruit, but imagine just the juiciest, most delicious fruit that he wants our lives to be producing not good works, not good deeds, not for you to look like a good person. He wants your life to be producing this delicious fruit of love. And I think many times we, we, we read this out of context. We read the idea that, okay, if I don't produce, God's going to cut me off. And many times we think, I need to produce, and therefore I need to produce good works. And so I need to go do charities, and I need to go give money, and I need to you know, go and, and, and be a good person and be kind and be nice. That's not the fruit that God is looking for. God could care less, or couldn't care less, I guess that's how you say it. God couldn't care less about the works that you do. He cares all about the love that you have. God does not look for the deeds. He looks at the heart. And there are numerous passages that talk about this where Jesus is not interested in how much money you can give. He's interested in the kind of heart that you're giving in. He's not interested in how many people you can save. He's interested in the, how much love you have for the people you're serving. This is not a call for you to go out and do more. This is a call for you to go out and love more. But this is where we get lost too. Because as Christians, when, even when you hear that, okay, so my call is not to do good works, but it's to love people. We're like, how do I love people? Do good works. And again, this is where I don't want us to get confused. 
Because in order for you to love someone, to show your love someone, your love is foundational. But out of your love will come works. Out of your love will come good deeds. And I see a lot of, we have a lot of young couples, and we have a lot of these, these young, and they're very happy, and they, they, they talk to each other on the phone all the time, and they go on all of these extravagant dates. And it's funny because, I, I, you know, I, I, even me, I'm young, right? I'm young, but I've been married a long time, and I kind of look at these young couples, and I'm like, man, you talked on the phone for how many hours? And they're like, you know, it was like seven hours. And I'm like, that's crazy. That sounds like so much work. But why do they talk on the phone for seven hours? Because they're in love. So if you ask them, is it work? They'll be like, it's not work at all. It's the best because I get to talk with her. <laughs> See, God wants us not to do work. He wants us to love. And out of that love is produced this work. I need you to understand this. I need you to get this. Because if you want intimate relationship with God, if you want him to speak in your life, you need to understand that it's not about how good you are because it doesn't matter. You know what? Let me tell you, without relationship, if you, if you talk to someone on, for seven hours on the phone, that is hell. That is literally the worst thing. I, I, I. There are times where I get called from people I don't even know, and they want to talk to me for like 30 minutes. And it's, it's because, you know, my phone number's on the website and all that stuff, and they call and they say, are you the pastor? I'm like, yes, I'm the pastor. And they're like, let me talk to you about this, this, and this. And I'm like, I don't even know you. And so I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yes, yes, oh, yes, absolutely, yes, the Bible says this, yes. And it's miserable. And I, I, I feel terrible for saying that, but it's miserable. It's miserable getting those phone calls. But you know what? When someone that I know and I care about and I love, that, I, that I love, when they call me up and they say, hey, do you have time to talk? Do you have time? Because I have some questions. I'm like, yeah! Like, let, let, let's go to dinner. Let's go to lunch. Let's have breakfast. Let's get coffee. You know, I'll, I'll just go over to your house right now because I want to be there with you because I love you. And so when people ask me, they're like, you know, how much work have you done? And I'm like, I didn't do any work. I didn't do anything because it's so, it's so not work. It's so relational. See, Jesus is saying that he is the true vine and that we are the branches. What he means by that, he's saying is I am the example and I am the source that you're going to understand how to do leadership and how to, how to do relationships, how to do the Christian walk. Jesus not only is our Savior, as, as the God-man, as the man who was sent from God to be born of a virgin, to, to, to live for us and to die for us and to be raised for us, as much as he's our Savior, he's equally our example of how we're to live our lives. And he explains in this passage that there is no greater love than this, than someone who is willing to lay down his life for his friends. See, Jesus went above and beyond any of us can ever imagine. That he died for all of us. And he calls all of us friends. That even the people that killed him, that Jesus died for them. He laid down his life for them. 
And Jesus says that the only way you can be my friend is if you do my command, if you do what I command. And it's kind of a weird thing because you don't say that to friends. You don't say, hey, the only way you can be my friends is if you do what I say. Like, that sounds terrible. Like, that's uh, even, even reading when Jesus says that. It's like, Jesus, come on. Like, could you have picked a different phrase? Because that's not how my friends talk. If, if one of my friends came up to me and said, Jeremy, you're my friend only if you do my command. <laughs> it's like, all right, man. Uh, I'll call you later. Um, but Jesus says this because his command is a requirement. The command is you need to love. And not just me, but you need to love the ones that I love. And Jesus loves everybody. <laughs> and see, this is, this is the hard part. This is truly the hard part. It's because Jesus says, unless you do my command, which is love those who I love, love your neighbor and those around you, you have not, you have not followed me. And if you don't produce fruit in that, in that love, if you don't produce this love, that you'll be cut off. And this isn't meant to scare you. It shouldn't scare you. But it should excite you. Because let me, let me explain a little more about this passage. You see, Jesus knows that he's about to die a brutal death on the cross. He knows that it's going to take a lot of sacrifice, a lot of pain, torture. And not only the physical side, but all the spiritual side, that he's going to have to bear the burdens of the people around him. He's going to have to go through all this tremendous pain. And you know what I'm realizing is that Jesus knew and understood why he had to go through that pain. It's not because he's a masochist. It's because God was pruning him. God allows you and I to go through pain, not because he hates you, not because he, he looks down on you, not because he's punishing you, let me explain this loud and clear for you all to at least hear me say. When you go through pain, it is not because of punishment. The punishment was already given to Jesus. It was already on his shoulders. The reason why you go through pain and you go through suffering is because God is pruning you. God is trying for you to understand that all these other things don't give you life. That the only way you have life is if you're connected to Christ. See, a branch with many leaves. See, a branch, a branch with many leaves may think that it can live on its own because, wow, I have so many leaves. And look, I have a new job. And, and look how beautiful this, this leaf is. And look, I have a beautiful family. And look how beautiful this leaf is. And it's like, look how beautiful all of my leaves are. And, and this little tiny branch is, is probably thinking to myself, I have the biggest leaves. And look, even my, my little branches have their own branches. You know, I have grandchildren. Look how beautiful my grandchildren are. Because, because even my grandchildren, they're going to branch off and they're going to have their kids. And, and look how beautiful everything is and, and look at my bank account and how big it is and look how big of a, of a, of a leaf this is. There comes a point where, where we need to understand the only reason why we are allowed life, that we are able to produce fruit is not because of our tiny little leaves, but it's because we're connected to the vine. We're connected to Jesus. See, a branch that has no leaves, 
But connected to a strong, nutritious, life-giving vine can still produce good fruit. It may not have any of the nice little leaves around, and, and it may be a branch that, that looks kind of dinky, it looks kind of small, because it's not, it's not this magnificent and strong branch, but it's this tiny little thing, but it's growing off of the vine. It, it can still produce great fruit. I think what ends up happening is a lot of us, we are like this branch, and we have so many of these beautiful leaves but we're not producing much fruit. And again, when I say fruit, I mean love. We're not producing much love. We have these amazing leaves and we have amazing things that look really great. And so when people look at us from the outside, they're like, man, look at that branch. He's got 13 leaves. That's wonderful. Man, God has blessed you so much. And I think we, we believe the lie. Yeah, I do have a lot of leaves. But see, God wants to prune us. And I think a lot of us are just so frightened. We're scared. Because when God comes and he says, I'm going to prune. I'm going to start pruning things away to show you, to explain to you that it's not the leaves that produce the fruit. But it's only the true vine that produces the fruit. And God begins to snip away. And then we say, God, how dare you cut off my beautiful leaves? How dare you take away this job? How dare you take away this girl? How dare you take away my authority, my respect? How dare you take away my reputation? How dare you take away my popularity? And we yell at God saying, how could you snap away these leaves? That was all that mattered to me. But God says, But don't you want to have the fruit? Don't you want to have love in your life? Don't you want to be able to experience what you were meant to do, which is to produce fruit? And I think there's some of us in this room that will look at God and say, no, I don't want that love. I would rather have my leaves. I would rather be in the shade. I would rather be able to to do what I want to do and do it the way I want to do. So God, don't you dare touch me. Don't you dare prune me. Don't you dare convict me. Don't you dare cause me to repent of my sins and the problems that I have. Leave me alone. And let me tell you, God is a gracious God. And when when we tell God, leave me alone, God will leave you alone. But I think the the message that Jesus is saying is if you are not interested in the love of God, the pruning shears of God, if you're not interested in being attached to the true vine, which is Jesus, then how could love be produced? How could true love, unconditional love, be produced? That's still my question. I look at the church, and I think we're so focused on the wrong kind of fruit. I think we're so focused on on the look of the building, on the look of the people, on the look of, of, of uh, of the missions that we do, local and international. We're so focused on all of these, all of these wonderful leaves. What I've been trying to teach week after week, what I want you to teach your children, what I want you to talk about with your friends, what I want you to talk with your spouses, with your significant others, is if you took away everything, 
if you took away everything, would you still be able to love? Would you still be able to follow the command of God? And this is really where it's hard and it's not easy. And it's not, especially when you experience this kind of loss and this kind of pruning from God. There is a a shouting back at God and saying, God, how dare you? How could you? And I highly recommend you do that. Because again, it is a relationship. And again, there have been pruning seasons in my life where God has taken away relationships and people, friendships, God has taken away positions. God has taken away so much. And it's in those times when I'm yelling at God, screaming at God, cursing out God. And again, what I want you to know is God is big enough to understand your anger, your frustrations, and your pain. It's in those moments when I'm screaming and yelling at God and saying, how could you, how dare you, that it's those moments that I also feel God consoling me. And God showing me, he's saying, I love you, I care about you, and I'm with you. It's in those hard moments, it's in those hard moments that I really feel God's presence. That's not something I, I, can, I can conjure up for you. It happens in the hardest of times. What, what I really want to explain is this. If we're not connected to Jesus, if he's not the true vine, then we're not connected to anything. And you know what? That's, that's how many people live this life. Because they don't believe that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, they live this life as if they're their own tree. And I, I'm, I am the true vine. I, I am the one, and I have my many branches, and I have my many leaves, and I have the many things that I can produce, and I can do these things. And, and you know what? It's going to be a good life. It's going to be a great life. You're going to have a good time because everything is going to be about you and what you're able to do. And I'm not going to fault you for that. If you want to live your life with all its trappings and all the the nice things about it and, and you just have that, you know what, the pressure is then on you. It's then on your shoulders. Then you better produce on your own. See, if, if you are separate from the vine, then it's on you to produce the fruit, to show what your life what it was all about, what it was for. I think I'm coming down to this realization that I don't have much to produce. I don't, I, I don't have enough in me. I don't have a good enough root system. I don't have enough resources to produce the love that God is commanding for me to produce it on my own. I can't do it on my own. And so the only way that I can come back week after week and actually talk to you about this stuff is not because I'm able to stand on my own two feet. It's because I want to connect myself to Jesus so much and say, I am not able to produce any good fruit without you. And you know the thing that Jesus has been telling me week after week in his word? He says, exactly. So just abide in me and I in you. And you know how much freedom there is now? There's so much freedom in me now because, you know what, there are people in this world I don't want to love. And guess what? I can love them. Not because I spend so much time with them. Not because I spend every day with them. I love them because my Savior loves them. 
I love them because he still looks at them and they're not too lost. They're not too far gone. But you know, it gives me the freedom to not have to manage all these tiny relationships anymore. That I do, I, I, I can clearly tell you, you know what, I, I'm not your savior, Jesus is, so you go talk to him. I'm going to go spend some time with my family. I'm going to love them because that's what I'm able to do. You know, um, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad, and I hope you know I love you and I care about you and I really want to do this. But I don't have 25 hours in a day. I just have 24, and you know what, I try to spend most of that with my family and most of that with my friends and the people that I care about. I think so many times we try to make this life how about how we are able to do everything. I've seen so many churches try to be the end all of everything. You come to our church and you will have all of your problems fixed. That's not how it works. But I guarantee you, if you go to Jesus, he can solve all of your problems. I am not the true vine. So don't look at me trying to say that I'm going to solve everything. You know what? There are people in this world that I never want to talk to. But I know Jesus would. I know Jesus does want to talk to them. And you know what? I, I know God may even be pruning me by saying, hey, go and talk to them. But do you think that I'm just going to say, okay, God, I'm so happy. I'm going to do this. No, I go kicking and screaming. And I say, God, that's the last thing that I want to do. Why are you making me do this? And those are the moments that God hugs me. He wraps his arms around me and says, son, I'm going to help you do this. God, but why do I have to do this? Because I love you. God, I can't do this. I need your help to do this. And when we say those words, God, I can't do this only without you, he's like, you got it. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. That's exactly the kind of heart I want you to have is for you to understand that there are things in this world that you can't do, that you can only do with my help. So let's do it together. See, a lot of us look at missions, like overseas missions. You look at those people, those missionaries, and you're like, oh my God, they're so holy because they can go overseas and they can do all those things. Let me tell you, those missionaries are just as broken as you. They're just as messed up as you. But for whatever reason, God has placed on their heart a love not to do good works. Let me tell you, missionaries do not have this love of doing good works. And that's why they sell all they have and go overseas and, and, and do missions. They have a love for the people and a love from God. And this love is so burning, it's so in them, it's so developed, they begin to cry out to God and say, God, I can't do much on my own. What do you want me to do? And God takes them and uses them in a mighty way, in a magnificent way, in a miraculous way to do things that they could have never imagined. But it's a step-by-step -step process. It's a day-by-day -day process. And you know, I'm a big advocate of yelling at God. Sounds weird, right? I'm a big advocate of yelling at God. Because if you notice in most close relationships, there's a lot of yelling. Maybe not your family, my family. <laughs> There's a lot of yelling. <laughs> but it's in that yelling. It's in that argument. It's in that conflict that we experience the true love of God. Sometimes when I yell at God and, and he, he responds back, the, the same way he responds all the time is, I love you, I'm proud of you, I care about you. A lot of times I just need to get my anger and my frustration and my tiredness, my, my weakness out and just let it out to him. I've learned over the years I can't even do that to my wife. 
I can't bear all my burdens on her. She's not strong enough. But our God, he is. The best thing about Jesus being the true vine is that truly, if we let him be the vine and we are attached to him, he gives us everything that we need. For some of us, this seems like a pipe dream. How could Jesus give me everything I need? All I can say is begin to talk to him. Just have a conversation with him. Talk to him about your needs. Talk to him about your wants. Talk to him about your desires. And I guarantee you, Jesus will respond. And this is, it's a hard guarantee to give you because how can I guarantee God's going to talk to you? But this is how I know. Because Jesus loves you so much that he would lay down his life for you. That he would die for you. That I guarantee you that he'll respond to your needs. Because I guarantee you he'll respond to my needs. I guarantee you he'll respond to all of the needs we have. We live in a dark, broken, and sinful world. You are more than welcome to live apart from the true vine and try to fix it yourself and try to survive in this nuclear wasteland of sin without the help of Jesus. But I've come to resolve that in this dark and broken, toxic world, that if I'm apart from Jesus for one moment, that I'm just going to wither away and die. I am not that good. You are not that good. But the vine that we are attached to can still use broken branches like us to produce the most beautiful, delicious, wonderful fruit of love. Let's pray. You are the vine and we are the branches, Lord. Apart from you, we can do nothing. I pray that you would give us the strength to abide in you and for you to abide in us. Father, you are the source of life. You are the source of salvation. And Father, I pray that we would follow your example and trust in you. God, we would know that God, even though he may prune, he may strip away, that you do it because you love us and you care about us. I pray that as uncomfortable as it may be, that we would cry out to you, God, that in our questioning of you, that you would know that we are doing it because we love you and we would understand that you're doing it because you love us. Father, I pray that we would have a great love as this, that we would lay down our lives for one another. Father, I pray you would teach us how to do this each and every day. Father, I pray that we would be honest with you. We would come before you with our sins, our insecurities, our weaknesses, our insufficiencies, and they would all be covered by Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. 